Last time I had to yell at everybody before we got started, so um, everybody was already ready to go. Three-minute warning worked, I guess. Still, still got a couple of seconds before we get started. Yeah, oh, I'm telling you, they're trying to figure out why did you even print this off. <clears throat> In the top? Oh. Well, you can see what I looked for last on that Google search, though. I was looking for cool. Uh, it's. Uh, I, I found this cool. I was looking up uh, watercolor crosses. This one's pretty cool. That was my previous uh, Google search in that. So that really was a Google search that I, I looked up. We'll hit on that in a second. Uh, before we get started, I'm going to stick with my normal format of reading a uh, <clears throat> prayer from Prone to Wander. Um, today's lesson is called uh, Godly Catholicity. So he's going to be talking about the unity um, within the church or the disunity that there is. Um, and so I'm going to read one that's called, you guessed it, Unity. I have yet to find a topic in, that is not covered in this book pretty explicitly that way. So um, if you would uh, bow your heads with me, I'm going to read this prayer. Triune God, you are one God in three persons, a diverse unity in whom there is neither division nor contention. You call us also to be one body made up of many different members with different gifts and abilities, as well as different needs and failures. We confess that we often take pride in our own gifts and look down on those who lack them, while thinking little about our needs, our need for gifts of others in the body. We form factions and cliques that promote and support our own interests, desperately trying to attract the favor of those whom we think strong, while dis despising and shunning those who we seek as weak, unattractive, or broken. Father, forgive us. Jesus, thank you for, willing, for your willingness to allow your physical body to be shattered and broken to establish the unity of your spiritual body, the church. Thank you that in you we have a unity that transcends all earthly boundaries. In you there is neither Jew nor Gentile, male nor female, slave nor free, Thank you for the particular love and care that you bestowed on the weakness and most ignorant members of your community, especially women, children, and outcasts. <clears throat> By your gracious attention, you gave honor to those who lacked it. As the only mediator between us and the Father, you unite all of your people in yourself. Holy Spirit, you are the one who gives each of us our various gifts and callings. Help us to see and appreciate your work in other Christians, honoring them more highly than ourselves. Remove our stony, self-centered hearts and give us hearts of flesh that love our brothers and sisters in Christ and value them just as they are. Teach us to love them with all their weaknesses and sins as beloved children of our Heavenly Father and servants of the same Master. Bind us firmly together into one new people united by Christ's work on the cross, and your continued work in each of our hearts. Amen. 
So again, this, uh, this lesson uh, today is called God- Godly Catholicity. So last session, uh, James talked about um, three things that should shape our Christian lives. Um, the first one, that we should be living quorum Deo, uh, before the face of God, living to the glory of God alone, unconcerned with what the world thinks. Number two, we should be living to be holy as God is holy. God's ultimate purpose is to conform us to the image of his son. We should be obedience-loving Christians. And thirdly, uh, we should be living in submission to the word of God as the only rule of life and worship. Our lives should be contoured by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So in this last, um, this last point, um, there's three statements that I think are key in helping us understand uh, what he's going to go through today in this lesson. Um, the first one is, uh, this does not mean that differences within the, within the bounds of Scripture will not exist. Second, he says, such differences must be considered according to love, which then acts as our guide within biblical boundaries. And then thirdly, we can accommodate to cultural changes without, without compromising biblical principles in worship that remains God-centered and Christ-exalting. So, at the top of your uh, study guides, that is a legitimate Google search uh, autofill of what I, whenever I typed in what are, or why are Calvinists, those are the first two things that popped up. Why are Calvinists such jerks, and why are Calvinists so judgmental? Um, I don't know how Google works in its uh, formulation of those, uh, but I assume that is based on the most popular things that are also searched along with the first three words I put in there. Um, that kind of... Um, it kind of took me aback. Um, now you type in what are Calvinists or who are Calvinists or some of the other things, and it's not quite as uh, stark as this one is. But this one specifically was tough to see. Um, I know James has pointed out in the two sessions that he did um, that he's not a huge fan of this uh, idea of us calling each other or calling ourselves Calvinist or or um, relating to it as just Calvinism, um, that that kind of, there's a, a whole stigma that goes with that. And I think that, that this is very uh, telling of that stigma that's out there um, when you talk about Calvinism. Um, so with that, I kind of went down a rabbit trail of, after seeing this, of just looking up some articles written by people who honestly have no idea what their theology is, um, but just to kind of see what's out there as far as what do people think about this idea of Calvinism. So I just want to read, um, I'm going to read a couple of just um, short sections of a couple of articles, um, and then and then we'll jump into the video for today. But I think this is a good place to start. Um, as we talk about uh, godly Catholicity and unity in the church. Um, The first one is from a guy named uh, Stephen Mattson, who's a uh, writer for uh, Red Letter Christians uh, website. It's convenient 
tempting and easy for Christians to obsess over the smallest details of our and others' faith while completely missing the reality of God's love. Too often we become distracted by our differences instead of focusing on what really matters. Minor disagreements quickly snowball into major accusations, which devolve into ugly controversies, and before we know it, Christians are being torn apart and divided because of dissension, infighting, bitterness, and sheer hatred. This combative behavior is masked under the pretense of accountability and discipleship and love and fighting sin and outing false teachers, but is often just a form of sinful attacking someone with different beliefs. He goes on to say, within Christianity, no particular denomination has the market cornered related to God's divine grace, forgiveness, and favor. Baptists don't love God more than Lutherans. Methodists don't minister more effectively than Presbyterians. Evangelical free churches aren't any more blessed than Assembly of God congregations. A liturgical church doesn't worship God any better or worse than a contemporary church. A megachurch praises the same God as a mini-church, no matter the language, location, culture, or style. Children experience the same loving God as the, elder, as the elderly, and his truths are equally revealed despite age, race, or gender. God forgives both the Arminian and the Calvinist equally. God's grace is gener- generously lavished on both um, egalitarians and complementarians. God impartially transmit his glo- transmits his glory whether you're premillennial or postmillennial. He finishes with this. Wholeheartedly trusting in God doesn't mean that absolute truth doesn't exist or that our theology practices and doctrines don't matter. That they very much do. The danger is when these things trump God and prevent us from loving others as Jesus loved. If we truly believe our identity is found in Jesus, we need to emulate his humble selflessness and stop trying to disprove and belittle the faith of others. God help us. So, do you agree with statements made in that? No. No? Certainly not all of them. Not all of them. I agree. There are things in here that I disagree with, but... Yeah. But to me, it's telling that this is... So this was an article written um, primarily focused on battling Calvinism. Um, That was kind of the intro section of it before he jumped into a bunch of things that were um, not correct. But I think that that, um, there was a lot he did say in here that is helpful uh, to be reminded of, though. Um, We do believe that theology matters. But we have to be careful in how far we push that and what that looks like to other believers and even to unbelievers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's about an attitude of how we, what, if we believe that this is the true gospel, then 
we should be showing that in love, not being these people that uh, that we show at the beginning of this and that Google the Google search that people think that Calvinists are, and that's a that's a pretty big majority of people out there that think that that is the mindset of Calvinism, is that it's arrogant, that it's boastful, that it's prideful, that those are the, those are the things that it's um, described as, not as humility. So that's where I. There's one more. Um, this one was from a, an article that was much worse. And in, in, uh, as far as there's a lot in here that I do not agree with, and we'll go into that. But it's um, this one was also kind of telling. Um, the monster god of Calvinism was what this one was called. This article. Um, so most of it's um, centered, centered around predestination um, and our need to preach the gospel and his uh, argument against Calvinism because of those two things. Um, some will even go so far as to say that since I do not believe their gospel, talking about Calvinism, as they define it, I, I am not a Calvinist, I am not, I'm not of the elect, and my end will be eternal hellfire. And if you, like most of the Christian church, are not a Calvinist, you will end up there too. Not all Calvinists are that legalistic to think that only Calvinists are saved, but it's not hard to see why some do, since it's easy to see how one can focus the gospel with a, personal, with a person's doctrine about the gospel. They errantly reason that if you don't believe a person gets saved the way they believe a person gets saved, then you don't believe the gospel and thus can't possibly be saved. We've also seen this in the Catholics who don't believe Protestants are saved because they don't include works as necessary for salvation. Conversely, we see this type of legalism with some Protestants who don't believe a Catholic can be saved if that Catholic believes works must be added to faith in order to be saved. We see it again here with some Calvinists who won't accept faith in Christ as sufficient for salvation. As you might suspect, there are non-Calvinists who don't believe some Calvinists can be saved because some Calvinists add to faith in Christ a particular doctrine about salvation that, most, um, that must be understood and believed in order to be saved. Thus, in their minds, the Calvinist has a false gospel and how can anyone get saved through a false gospel, they might argue. So, after reading this article, which was a whole lot longer than that, I just pulled a very small section of it out, um, I immediately felt the need to find some sort of comment section and defend the Reformed doctrine that I believe I hold to, especially all the ways he got it wrong, which there are lots in this article, I wanted to see what other people had to say, though. And I went to the comment section, and I knew I would find people in wholehearted agreement with this guy's article and some who wouldn't. Uh, but in there, I found this gem. I was, this is a person's comment about that article that I pulled that from. I was curious about this article slash post because I just today finished John Piper's Bloodlines, which focuses on racism. I am no Calvinist. But I was moved and challenged by, Par- by Piper's humility and commitment to restoration slash reconciliation regarding race. Theologically, Piper and myself differ greatly, 
but I think if we were to share a beer and a conversation together, we would find that we have more in common than not. And I think that that statement to me is telling just in, in this idea that we can have conversations with people. We can love people who differ from us in these ideas of theology. And we can do those in a way that is productive or we can do those in a way that is hurtful to both of us. And ultimately, to people outside of the church, that division doesn't look good. That division looks really bad. So I think as we go through this uh, session, we'll see um, the points that um, Ian is making um, kind of flow along that path. And so with that, we'll start the video, and then we'll have some conversation afterwards. Thank you, Bobby. So I'm going to go through kind of the the brief outline that is on your paper, um, the three points that he made, um, and then just kind of have a, hopefully have some discussion about um, the points he made and, and whether we wholeheartedly agree or disagree or um, where maybe... If he fell short, do we? Were there places where he did? So, um, the first one: Did anybody find anything particularly um, important in that first section where he talks about the Reformed faith possesses a non-negotiable doctrinal core? Everybody agree with that, Blake? Absolutely, that's a good point, and I think that that kind of touches on what James said as well. So we, just because we have these, what we call non-negotiable doctrinal core things that we believe, that doesn't mean that that has to completely push out any unity that we have with our, I mean, I know plenty of people in here that have friends that believe the Arminian view versus Calvinism. So does that mean that we cannot be united with them in Christ, absolutely not. And that's where we have to, we have to be careful. I think that that's, this, whole, this whole session really um, brought me to a point of being careful about the way that I speak to other believers, the way that I proclaim the gospel to an unbeliever. So um, I think that that was a good place where he started talking about, yes, there are um, non-negotiables, um, in this, in his, as far as Calvin is concerned, um, but the second point within the multifaceted tradition, Calvin pursued godly Catholicity with zeal. I was surprised in this section um, that he only had the one quote from Calvin to Thomas uh, Cramner um, when there's a whole, um, the fourth book of his Institutes, the first chapter is completely about unity in the church and he didn't even he didn't even go there um so i was kind of surprised um with that you'll get a quote from that in a second but um the thomas cramner quote it is it is to be numbered among the evils of our day that the church that the churches are so divided uh one from another that there is scarcely any friendly intercourse strengthened between us much less does the holy communion of the members of church of christ flourish which all profess with the mouth, but few sincerely regard in the heart. 
but if the practical teachings conduct uh, themselves more coldly than they ought, it is um, principally the fault of the princes who involve in their secular concerns neglect the prosperity and purity of the church, or each one contended with his own security is indifferent to the welfare of others. Thus it, is, it comes to pass that the members being divided, the body of the church lies disabled, or as he quoted it, bleeding, respecting myself, if it should appear that I could render any service, I should uh, pleasure, yeah, pleasure cross ten seas if necessary to accomplish that object. So I don't know where he pulled uh, his quote from that, but it was not at all like the one I found. Um, but still, nonetheless, um, his zeal for um, bringing the church together in some unity was something that he pursued and pursued heavily. Um, he focused that section mainly on uh, the passage from Mark 9 and the passage from uh, John 17, um, talking about um, Christ, talking about the unity in the church and his prayer and his high priestly prayer at the end of that John 17 section on, in verse 23, um, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. So if Christ prayed for this, do we find that it's something that we are pursuing? I think that that's um, something that we should all spend some time reflecting on. Um, in, just in general, um, I believe that with, especially with other believers, it's something that we find... Um, to be right now, when you talk about Calvinism, maybe not in this church, maybe not outside of this church in our local community, but outside of this place, Calvinism has a particular, I don't know if it's, I don't know what word to use, but it, it has some ideas that come with it. Stigma. Stigma. Reputation. So if we we have to be careful if that's what we believe. If we believe um, the Reformed doctrine is true, then we have to be careful with the way that we are presenting what we claim to be the gospel, that we're not focusing on only saying this is what we believe, and if you don't believe this, you can't possibly be a believer, because that only causes divisions. And we absolutely have to be, if we're saying that there's non-negotiables here, then we have to hold to those, but we don't have to do it in a way that creates and adds to this stigma that's out there about Calvinism. Because I don't believe that I became a believe, truly became a believer until I heard the gospel proclaimed in this church that happened to also be partly due to the Reformed theology that was being taught here. But I know people in this church that grew, didn't grow up in this church, didn't grow up hearing Reformed doctrine. My father-in-law was dispensational in his view before. So would you say that you weren't a believer before you heard this theology proclaimed this way 
about what we believe the gospel is and how God works all of that out. Or, I mean, that, that's where I think the, the division starts is we look at someone who is dispensational or Arminian and we say, well, how could they possibly be a Christian if they believe it that way? Because that's, that's wrong. It's just wrong. The, go- the way that they believe the gospel is wrong. That doesn't, that doesn't unify the body of Christ so we have to, I think that's, I don't know if that was probably a terrible answer to your question, but, <laughs> and very long-winded. Yeah. And I think that that's what the point that Blake made was driving at. Bobby? Absolutely. And I think that that's important because we, I, I want to go back to this idea of we have to be careful we have to choose our words wisely when we're speaking of other believers. When we're talking to unbelievers, it's, it's just a, we, we want to say what is right, what's true, but we want to be careful that that doesn't lead us into arrogance and that we're not being humble and, and all of these things that I think are just the stigma that's out there. Um, Yeah, and causes division, right? So, yeah, Tom. Yeah, I think that's a great point as well. So, in a, I don't know where, just a. This was a Q&A that MacArthur was doing. He, he made a good point about this topic. Um, the love of God has been expressed through Jesus Christ's death on the cross, and you will know and experience that love if you put your faith in him. If you don't, you will perish in your sins because you believed, as Christ said, not in me. Um, and so MacArthur, in, in that statement, he's talking about uh, proclaiming the gospel and, and this idea that if you're Calvinist, well, why do you even proclaim the gospel to people? He's already chosen who it's going to be, and why do you why do you even go through the the effort? So he's answering that question. Um, he does. He says, "I don't have all the answers." And this is MacArthur. He's a pretty smart guy, um, but he says, "Even in even in the gospel offer and common grace and the withholding of judgment." God's saving nature is put on display. We can say to sinners, God is merciful, compassionate, and God calls you to repent, and he calls you to believe. He has offered his son as a sacrifice for those who believe. So I think that that's a good, that's where he goes. That's, that's where he goes in this idea that, um, yes, he believes reformed in the, in the camp of reformed doctrine, but that doesn't change the way that he presents the gospel, that we're all sinners and we all deserve hell and condemnation. And so he's, the way, the way he does that is just so, to me, it just, that's what I want to do when I'm talking to unbelievers or when I'm talking to someone who I know, who I, who I believe is a believer 
but may have different doctrine than I do, that that's the way I want to talk about the gospel in those ways that don't, don't immediately cause division. Yes, we can talk about foreknowledge and election and what those things mean, and I think that those things are important. They're absolutely necessary conversations to have, especially with other believers. But we have to be careful. Um, so if we, I'm not for sure who, the, who, who quoted this. The place I found it didn't have the person quoted. But it says, if we focus on differences, our focus is on each other. If we focus on unity, our focus is on God. I think that's, Maybe not the most helpful distinction, but that it's something like if I'm always focused on myself, then my, my, what my world around me looks like is different than if I'm focused on others. If I'm focused on serving others more than myself, how does that affect my, what, what I see in the world around me? I think the same thing goes for um, focusing on our differences more than our unity in Christ, that we are in Christ and I think that that's maybe a, a helpful place to start. It's not, again, not, I'm not saying that we should just meld into one, um, one theological idea, and that's what he's trying to say here, um, but that we should be pursuing unity. Um, I'm going to read three verses, just real quick verses, and then um, in the spirit of uh, last one that I did, I've got two um, hymns that I want to just read the words from to close us. So, uh, Psalm 133.1, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. In unity. Acts 4.32, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And Ephesians 4, 4 through 6. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So the two hymns um, that I'm going to read, one is Christian Hearts in Love United, and then the first two verses of Christ, the great foundation. So this one's Christian hearts in love united. Christian hearts in love united. Search to know God's holy will. Let his love in us ignited more and more our spirits fill. Christ the head and we his members, we reflect the light he is. Christ the master, we disciples. He is ours and we are his. Grant, Lord, that your direction, love each other, we comply. Help us live in true affection, your love to exemplify. Let our mutual love be glowing brightly so that all may view that we as on one stem growing, living branches are in you. Come then, living church of Jesus, covenant with his anew. Unto him who conquered for us, may we pledge our service true. May our lives reflect the brightness of God's love in Jesus shown. To the world we then bear witness, we belong to God alone. And then 
Christ, the great foundation. O Christ, the great foundation on which your people stand to preach your true salvation in every age and land. Pour out your Holy Spirit to make us strong and pure, to keep the faith unbroken, unbroken as long as worlds endure. Baptized in one confession, one church in all the earth, we bear our Lord's impression, the sign of second birth. One fellowship united in love beyond our own. By grace we were united. By grace we make you known. So with that, any final comments, thoughts? Letha? Yeah. That's a good point. Anybody else? Thank you, guys.